Good to be with you this morning. Good to see you. Uh, see your faces this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. You know, sometimes, as you probably were going, like, what is going on? Like, we're fiddling around up here. I'm coming up here. Justin's trying to figure stuff out as well. So here's, here's the reality is this. We, can, we try to perfect things on Sunday mornings as best as we can, and we can get so focused on the perfection and trying to pull all this stuff together and technology and all these things. And I don't want those things to distract us uh, from the main reason we're here. I think about the message that we're going to look at. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2. I'm pretty sure Peter wasn't too worried about if the guitar is coming through the sound system or not. Like, they didn't have a sound system. Uh, I, don't, and I think his message was all right that day. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to look at a few verses uh, this morning that I believe are incredible to read. Uh, it is an gr- incredible picture. It's an incredible example. It's an example that I would love to see Redeemer Community Church follow wholeheartedly. Uh, and we've been in a series we've called Community Life here, kind of rounding out the summer, heading into uh, this fall season. And we've been looking at various aspects of the community and a fellowship and the church and being brought into a family, that there's this new community that's formed uh, through Christ and the church. And this morning, I want us to look at this example. And so again, if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses, just a small section here, verse 42 uh, through the end of this chapter, verse 47. But I want us to just look back just briefly here, just for a few minutes. Uh, And if you look back, what we get to see is what happens on this day. This is a momentous day in the history of the church. It's not just a history of the church, it's really a momentous day in all of history. And this was a day that the Jews would celebrate. It was another festival of theirs. This was Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the people are coming from all over, literally all these various regions. We're going to look at that in a second to see all the various regions that they come from. And these people coming from all walks of life, from all classes, all different ethnicities are coming together. And here they come and they're gathering in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And a remarkable moment happens. Jesus had promised to his disciples that it was going to be better that he were to leave. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing that sometimes. I think if Jesus were here in this room, we all would act differently. We would, we would behave differently and not just like, oh man, oh no, is all my stuff together, is everything, am I presentable, all that. I just mean we would, we would bask in his glory. We would, we would want to be, I would hope our hearts would be like Mary and be sitting at his feet and wanting to bask in what does he have to say to me? What's he going to say? What's he do? What's he look like? We would observe him and watch him and things maybe would be different if he were here. So I find it interesting that Jesus told his own disciples and said, it's better that I go and I leave. Why would it not be good for him to be here? Because what he went on to say was, was I'm going to send my helper, who's not just going to kind of help you from a distance, someone who's not just just someone, it's going to be himself, God himself, the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell you. I will be in you and with you wherever you go. Not just where Jesus is walking on earth. No, I'm promising my spirit to indwell you and be with you. I will convict you of sin. I will help you. I'll give you the words to say. And what we see on this day as these disciples are waiting, as Jesus had told them to do, the Spirit descends on them like tongues of fire, it describes. 
And all of a sudden, as the Spirit overwhelms them, Peter, now think about this, Peter, the disciple, who had just recently denied Jesus three times, said, I don't know this man, terrified of other people and what they thought of him, worried about his own life. Forty days or so later, stands in front of a multitude of people and begins to preach. The first sermon Peter's ever preached, and here he goes, and he's preaching his heart out. And what is the message? What is the call of this message? He tells them, he says, you crucified Jesus. You put him on the cross. But he tells us this beautiful story. He said, but God, Jesus, God raised him up in verse 32. And of that, we all are witnesses. They're like, we witnessed his resurrection. And guess what? You guys have witnessed it too. Not you literally in this room, but the people as he's teaching to his audience. You guys, you know that there's many of us who have seen the risen Lord. God raised him up. And of that, we are all witnesses He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, verse 33, and having received from the Father promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he goes on to say, listen to this, verse 36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, that is overseeing all things, he is master, he's Lord, he has right over everything, he has all authority under heaven and earth that's been given to him. He is Lord of all. We were singing these lyrics. He's the Lord of all. And he says he's made him both, he's both Lord and Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. This Jesus, notice what he says, whom you crucified. Watch what happens when the Spirit of God is at work. Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's like, you can enjoy this wonderful blessing of having a relationship with God and God will come and indwell you and he will be in you and he will lead you and he'll give you the gifts and he will speak through you. You will be my witnesses. Listen, this is something that we as the church get to enjoin into. We enjoy this relationship with God, but also we get him inside of us. And I don't think we get this. We don't live with this kind of power, but this is the power that comes. And as this church is established, I want us to see this example that I want us as a church to follow. It's the example of Scripture. We see it throughout the Scriptures, but we see it so vividly clear here in this section in verses 42 through 47. So I want us to read this together, and I want us to notice just three things this morning from this passage. And there'll be a bunch of little subpoints within, but three main points very simple outline this morning. Look at verse 42. It tells us, here's the church. They've repented. 3,000 people have come to faith in Christ. Can you imagine Peter and the disciples? All right, all of a sudden, in moments, there's 3,000 people to baptize. There's 3,000 people to lead and shepherd. There's 3,000 people to, to teach, to help, help them to understand the gospel. They're just hearing the gospel for the first time. They know nothing about the gospel. They don't know nothing, they know very little about Jesus and what he's done. And, he, and here they're going, what are they going to do? What should they be doing? This church is now forming. 
And it tells us in verse 42, and they devoted, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is explosive. This is powerful. This is wonderful. This is glorious. And this is what I desire for Redeemer Community Church. I want us to notice three things from their example. One is this. Notice first that the church was devoted. I mean, they were a devoted church. I mean, here they are just starting out. And maybe for some of you, maybe there was a point in your life where you remember a long time ago, maybe when you first gave your life to Christ, where you were maybe all in. You're like, I'm all in. I'm just consuming. I want to know. I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to know what it's like. I want to know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. What what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian do? And you're consumed with it. Maybe there was a point in your life where you were devoted. Maybe you still are. My hope is you still are. But notice, I want you to notice this about these people. They were devoted. Notice what they were devoted to. And they devoted. I mean, this is devotion. There's something behind this. There's There's a desire. There's a longing to know and to do and to serve and to love. Notice the things that they're devoted to. First, they're learning about the gospel. This is exactly what they were teaching. The apostles were teaching them. Listen, this Old Testament that you've been reading, the scriptures that you may know or may not be familiar with in the Old Testament, because they didn't have, remember, they don't have the New Testament, right? This was being formed through the apostles. As the stories unfold in the book of Acts, that's where we get the stories unfolding and the letters written by Paul and others that, that formulate for us the New Testament. But they don't have that. This is all new. Who is this Jesus You're saying He's the Son of God. Well, what does that mean and what does that look like? Who is this Jesus? And so naturally, the disciples, what do they start doing? Matthew, what's he doing? He's writing down the events of Jesus' life and he's putting it on paper so that they could know who Jesus was. Hey, you know about the Sermon on the Mount? Most of the people were like, no, I don't know what the Sermon on the Mount was. Well, let me tell you about it. And so they would tell them, let me tell you the stories of what Jesus has said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those. And so they go and they tell the stories. And they, let me tell you these parables that Jesus taught. Can I tell you? Listen to this. Can you imagine the church being formed? They don't know any of these things. And they're like, hey, there was this time where Jesus was teaching. And he told this story of a Samaritan man. And they're going, a Samaritan? And he goes on to tell about the good Samaritan, the story that may be familiar to us. Unfamiliar to them. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They longed for it. They hungered for it. I mean, sadly, us in America and in the church, even today, we don't long for these things. But listen, if you've ever been in a culture where they don't, they've first gotten the gospel in their language, they are soaking every word of it in. A, a, a church uh, and a ministry that we support as a church, and really basically supported from the beginning, is uh, Chad and Martha Earl in Papua New Guinea. 
Uh, they, they, I, 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 I mean, I want to encourage you to go into their Instagram. I can send it out later and put it on our website or something, but, so you can follow them if you want. But their story of them share, I mean, they, they go and they learn these people's culture. They learn their language. They get to know their language, and then all of a sudden, through time with them, investing in them and loving them and learning them, now they're going to teach them how to read. They're going to teach them how to write. They're going to teach them these things so that they can hear and know about these things in the Bible that they've never heard in their language. And so slowly over time, that was about a year ago, around this time, they began telling the story of God. They started with creation. These people were coming from miles upon miles by foot to come every single day for five days a week or four days a week coming so they could hear and learn about who God is and what he's done. You see, they were de- they're devoted. There's a devotion that comes through the power of the Spirit of God indwelling a person who's been transformed by the gospel, and they want to know more of it. They desire to know who is this God and what is he like. And the, the apostles are like, he's revealed himself in his son. Let me tell you about his son. And look how the Old Testament and the stories of Exodus, let me tell you how the sacrificial system and all these things pointed to Jesus. So someone then took Hebrews and wrote Hebrews for us to help them see that Jesus is the great high priest of the Old Testament. They were devoted to learning about the gospel. I want to tell you this, every true revival that's ever happened in history is centered on the word of God. It's not, I mean, yes, we can have movements of worship music, and we can have Passion, passion, that's passion City, for instance, that meets in Atlanta, and Louis Giglio, and Passion that started, I mean, when I was in college, I was go, attending Passion, or different things like that, and so here they are, and they have these movements with worship and those things, but that's great to have worship songs that maybe even are scriptural in verses, but every movement of God begins through the Word of God. It's God's Word that brings revival. We can pray for revival, but here's where it comes from. It comes from a praying people, but it comes from centering on the Word, and it's the Word of God speaking. And what does it do? Did you notice again back in 37? Now when they heard what? Peter was explaining the Word of God to them. What happens to them? They were cut to the heart. The Spirit of God penetrated their hearts exposed them to their need of Jesus, and they put their faith in him when he told them to repent and believe. And they repented of their sins and believed, and they were baptized, and this church is formed. And now they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, listen, Paul challenges two young uh, church planters, Titus and Timothy. We studied Titus a couple years ago as we walked through that book uh, a while back, when Titus and Timothy, both of those, he, he was challenging. He says, listen, teach sound doctrine. Pay attention to your doctrine. Pay attention to the Word of God and teach it to your people. He didn't say, like, just have the most amazing worship sets. He didn't say, just have the most amazing things. He says, give them the Word of God. Teach God's Word. And this is what they were devoted to. And listen, this is what we must be devoted to. We must be devoted to God's Word. This is why I want to encourage you, bring a Bible with you. You might have it on a device, you may have it in paper form. I don't don't necessarily care one way or the other. We're we're a culture that continues to grow and technology is greater and greater. But listen, have God's Word in front of you and study it and highlight it and write in it, point things back. Listen, one of the values even of uh, whether it's on an iPad or in a Bible is even seeing how the Old Testament fits into the New. And oftentimes you're like, what's happening here? But if you're reading Peter's, even Peter's sermon, You know what Peter's doing often? He's quoting Joel. He's quoting the Old Testament. 
he's pointing to that. And then even in your notes, you'll have these little B's and A's and numbers one and two and all these different things. There are these little footnotes and these things pointing to you other verses of Scripture, helping you understand. Listen, this is where Peter was coming from when he was preaching from this. He was pulling from Joel. He's pulling from the Old Testament. He's pulling for this. He's, we see the whole of Scripture. Listen, we must be a people who are devoted to the Word of God like these disciples. But notice, not only are they devoted to the Word of God, it tells us that they're also devoted to fellowship. But notice it says, this is important, in the Greek you don't see, you, you don't see this unless you're looking at the Greek, but as you see it in different translations, you, you can kind of picture it, but you don't fully get grasp it. But in the Greek, it's very much specific. It says there's an article right before. It's not just like, hey, let's have fellowship. It says the fellowship. And then it says not just breaking bread, it says the, very much an article right before it in the Greek, the breaking of bread. What is he pointing to here? He's pointing to a function of the church, that the church has ordinances to follow. Jesus instituted ordinances for the church to follow, two specifically, baptism. Like this was the call of here, when repent and be baptized, every one of you. What is baptism? Baptism is is not something that you just sprinkle on a little baby when they're younger. Baptism is a symbol for a believer who's put their trust in Jesus. It's a symbol. It's a picture. It's an identifying with Jesus in his death. The picture of being immersed, going underwater. It's a picture of being immersed and being uh, a symbolizing of, of his death. And then his burial and his resurrection to new life. This picture of new life. And it's a joining into the body of Christ. It's not an aspect that saves you. Only by faith are you saved. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. But baptism is this picture. It shows us. And it's something that we're to follow as the church. But something else that we follow and something else we do is we observe the Lord's Supper together. What are they doing when they do this? What are they doing when they are breaking bread and they're devoting themselves to breaking bread together and praying together? What are they doing? They're reminding themselves. They're following what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. What are they doing? They're communicating the gospel to each other. They're communicating the gospel to each other. Remind ourselves as we break this bread together. Remind my heart, remind my mind, remind my soul that Jesus' body was broken for me. That as I drink this cup, as I take of this drink, that I remind myself of Jesus' shed blood on the cross for my salvation. They're preaching the gospel to each other through these things that they practice. And these things are done within a body. That's why there's that definite article, the fellowship. It's not just random fellowship. It's the fellowship. It's the the church gathered. We see this as the church gathers in the temple courts and in homes. Day by day, it tells us in verse 46. You see, they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to worship of God together through the body of Christ, through loving one another. We see the example of this here in a second. They loved each other. They were committed to breaking bread, but they were committed, they were devoted, they were passionate about praying. But not just praying individually. I want you to see this. Not just praying like, hey, I should be praying on my own. I should be praying for the request of people. I should, should get alone with God, me and God, away from everyone. No, it's, this is happening, and this is the picture of this, happening within the church. That we're a praying people. That we gather together to not just pray about various different issues and those things, but we're praying 
God's Word to press into our hearts, that God would help us, that He would give us boldness. We see this example throughout the book of Acts, asking for God to give them boldness, to proclaim the truths like we see happening for Peter. See, they were a devoted people. This church was devoted. Verse 46 even tells us, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I mean, day by day. See the devotion there? This wasn't like this, like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll choose to be a part of the church when it's convenient. I'll choose to invest in other people. I'll choose to commit to studying and listening and learning and fellowshipping and spending time do, practicing the one another's that we see in Scripture and breaking bread. I'll, I'll do it when it's convenient on my time. No, they were devoted to this day by day. There's a devotion. So not only was this first church devoted, secondly, this church was united. I want you to see how united they were. Verse 43 tells us, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Notice verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Would you hear this for a second? That is really, really extraordinary. I think if you're just reading this, or maybe you've heard this before, you can kind of just glance over that. Like, all right, sweet, they're the church. They're, they're together. They have all things in common. They don't have all things in common. Did you hear? Listen, listen look, at, look at verse, um, look at ver- Acts 2. Look at verse, let's see, look at, let's look at verse 8. So go back just a little bit. So here's the people that are there. This first church that was formed that had 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. Look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They're hearing this message in their own language. This is a miracle of God. Peter's speaking, and he's speaking in his own language, but then each person is hearing it in their own language. Peter's not speaking a bunch of different languages. He's speaking one languages, but they're all, this miracle happens that they're not just hearing it in what Peter is speaking. They're hearing it in their own heart language. They're hearing it in their own language. And as they hear this, but notice what it tells us. Look at this list. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans. If you remember from our study in Titans, Cretans, there's a, uh, Paul explains even how terrible of a people they were. They were these horrible people, these liars, no good, nobodies. And here they are, Cretans at this gathering. And Arabians. This eclectic group forms the first church. People from Crete, people from Rome, people from Judea, people from Pamphylia, the Galileans, all over the area. They hear the gospel, they're cut to the heart, and they believe. And now this group of people from, listen, not just different ethnicities, from different classes. I mean, they're very much a class-oriented society. There's the haves and the have-nots, and really we see that even in our culture today. And there's the people who had, and then there was the slave. There was the Jew, and there was the free, and there was the not-so-free person. There was the the woman, and then there was the man. There was differences, and there was in each and every religion, it was unique. And each of those, you did not see this kind of diversity. 
And yet here they are united. Everything in common. Listen to what it tells and it describes. And they were selling their possessions. Probably not the Cretans. They probably weren't. But maybe others were. They might have been as well. So the possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as any had need. Listen, they're attending the, the, the temple together. They're getting in homes and they're breaking bread together. People who don't eat certain foods and who others who do eat certain foods are now in homes together. How does this happen? Tim Keller shares, shared I mean, years ago, I was listening to one of his messages from like 1995. And in it, he quoted a, a Yale historian. I want to read to you what this uh, historian said about this. He said this, really unique about this new community that was formed I mean, from all these various walks of life. Here's what he says. The pagan deities, for example, were often tied. This is what the Yale um, historian said. The pagan deities, for example, were often tied and confined to certain regions and nations. I mean, I think we probably can even see that. If you've traveled a little bit abroad, you know, I mean, there's certain things that are very much like this is this, this, this ethnicity group. This is what they believe. This is what this group believes. This is what this group. It's very much tied to culture a lot of times. It's con- and here's what he says. For example, they were often tied and confined to certain regions and nations. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to a Jew, Gentile, African, and barbarian. The philosophers to Greece and Rome, on the other hand, appealed to the educated only and could never win the masses. It was one of the charges against Christianity that it drew the lowly and uneducated multitude, that, essential, that its essential teaching was so simple that anybody could understand. Yet Christianity also developed a philosophy that converted some of the greatest minds in the society. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, and women were active in its work, while two of its main competitor religions were almost exclusively for men. Finally, the mystery religions were mainly for the rich, and initiation was very expensive. There was no other religion that took in all groups and all strata of society. The one tenable, listen to this, the one tenable explanation of Christianity's inclusiveness was probably its teaching of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. For if Jesus was not a teacher showing the way of salvation, but the Son of God who accomplished salvation, then members of both sexes and all races and learned and the unlearned, the high and the low, the able and the non-able, might all be able to share in the salvation made possible in Christ. You see, the Christian church is unique. But what is a glorious thing is to see, especially as you see it in Revelation, as you read the end, how the story ends, as we were seeing earlier. If you look to the end, you see people from every tribe, tongue, language, all declaring with one voice the praises of God. That together, from all walks of life, we're going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That the church from the furthest areas of the world, the people who've never been ever reached before, but one day hopefully will with the gospel, and maybe it's only one convert from that whole tribe or from that whole nation even, but even that person is represented in the end, who's with the church global, gathered together to sing His praises. You see, this church was united, but isn't, doesn't it so seem like it's the opposite in our culture today? We're so divided. 
You see, Paul, I mean, what takes a person like Paul, educated beyond measure? He's a Jew of all Jews, but yet he's able to go and say, I long to be, as he writes to a church, says, I long to be with you. And who's he talking to? He's talking to the whole church, slave, Gentiles, Jews, didn't matter, the Cretans and Titus. Don't know why I've got a bone to pick with the Cretans for some reason this morning. I'll stop trying to mention their name now. But the point being is this, this this church was united and only reason, what brings us all together, even what in this room, what brings us together, it's Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. The united aspect of the church is Christ. And this church is gathering together and we see this, they're selling their possessions, they're distributing this to the poor, they're helping one another, they're meeting one another's needs. How do they do this though? You can't do this from a distance. You don't just like, let me write a check and hope this helps someone. No, you get to know people. You spend time with them. You're in their homes. You're breaking bread together. You're day by day doing life together. And you see the needs and you, re- you, you notice the needs. And what do you do? You meet needs. This is the church. You can't just, this only happens when you're devoted to it. When you give your life to Christ and His church. And they were devoted, and it brings a united aspect to where they're willing to sell possessions. They're well, they're, they become friends with people who are outside their class. You got sitting in, I mean, can you imagine in the homes? They're gathered together, and it's not like the slave comes in and sits in together, and they're gathering together, and they're breaking bread, and it's like, well, who's getting the food tonight? All right, go get it. No, the church was gathered. It wasn't like, hey, the slaves got to go get it. Someone else got it because they were following their Lord's example who washed their feet. Didn't ask a servant to wash his feet. You see, the church was brought together. They were one. It wasn't, okay, this higher class, this is lower class. No, they were united. This is the church. This is the church that I want for us. I want us to be a church that's united around the gospel. Third and finally is this, the church was powerful. The church was powerful. What we see in this church, there's power. But where is this power come from? The reality is this power wasn't in and of themselves. This power was in the Spirit of God that had come into the 120 gathered together in the upper room. And as the church gathered, and then as Peter proclaims the gospel, and as 3,000 come, the Spirit descends on these individuals, and the people of God are established, the church. Now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And what are they doing? And what's happening? Notice verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice this. Don't miss this. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. The Lord added to their number. I want you to see this. There wasn't like some, like, what's the, what's the six steps to having an effective, highly effective church? What's the six steps of evangelism to get your church to grow? You know, there's so many church growth books that have been written over the years telling you, like, here's this practical way. Do these things. Hey, if you take these steps, you can reach people. But what happens when you try to follow all those steps and just they don't come or people aren't putting their faith in Jesus? Remind yourselves of these verses. And the Lord added to their number. You see, God brings the increase. God does the work of saving. I don't do it. 
you don't do it. We're just faithful. We're to just be under shepherds. Listen, I, I sit under the authority of Christ, and I sit under that authority with humility and with a, an undeservedness. But we're called to go and make disciples of the nations. We're called to be His witnesses. We come with a boldness because of His power. It's His power, not ours. The Lord added to their number. The Lord, see that. If you were to go through Acts, and we'll do it someday, I'm sure, but as you go through the book of Acts, what you find are a people on their knees in prayer. They are prayerfully dependent. They are asking God for boldness. They literally are praying those kind of prayers. God, give us boldness. And when they're praying for that kind of boldness, like in chapter 4, we see it happening. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. If you keep reading through, we see more boldness happening in verse 31. And when they had prayed, notice this, verse, this is chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the power isn't in us. It's not a collective even power. It's the power of Almighty God in us as the church, as we go to be His witnesses to the nations. Listen, we do this in community. You need the church. I need the church. We need one another. And collectively... We get to see the boldness happen. We get to see God's work done. We get to watch as He moves and as He shakes and as He reaches. I, I can think of story after story already in the church plant even, how God has brought various people in our paths and brought different people, random people, people I didn't ever know before and that I've gotten to know over the years or over the past two years. I mean, it's only been two years. Um, and really, just a, not even we're coming up on a year meeting in this room in October. I mean, God has been so good to us, and I watch and see, I mean, God, thank you for the, the ways that you have brought people in unimaginable ways, but God, help us to be more bold. Help us to be more on fire for you. God, help us be more devoted to you. So what would it look like for us as a church to model this kind of church, one that is fully invested, fully devoted? all in. God, I want to use my gifts for your glory, and I'm going to commit myself to a local church. And listen, you need to be committed, committed to a local church, whether that is Redeemer or somewhere else. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter as long as they're preaching the Word of God and doing that with clarity and with, and, and with um, a love for God and His Word, and it's with right doctrine. I mean, yes, those are things that we pay attention to, statements of faith and those things as you maybe move someday, maybe move away. That you'll be paying attention to the type of church. What are they teaching? Are they preaching about the scriptures? Are they teaching about the gospel? Are they showing you and exalting Christ? These are things that we want to be as a church. But listen, you got to be committed. Be all in. Day by day, it tells us. Day by day. How do you do that? You can't just do that on Sundays. How do you get to know each other? How can I have all these things in common? How can we be so united? How can we see the power of God move in our midst? We see it 
as we see in verse 47, we see it through praising God. We see it through worship. You see, we're all worshipers. We all worship something. We're all devoted to something, whether that's family, call yourself a family man, be devoted to your sports team. You know, college football season's back. You know, it's back in high gear. Deion Sanders pulled off some. You, you guys don't have a clue who that is. Never mind. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, there, all of a sudden we can become so devoted to like, all right, well, I'm going to sit down and this is college football Sunday or NFL season kicks off Thursday night and here we're into a new football season or we get devoted to uh, an activity. Man, I love fishing and I'm devoted to fishing or I'm devoted to golf and learning the game of golf or learning these things or devoted to anything. We can become so devoted to these things. What are we doing? We're worshiping those things. They become our idols. They become the thing that we're giving our time, our energy, our thoughts, our passion. You can do this with work. You can do this with family. You can do this with parenting. You can do this in all areas. But this church was gathered and they're praising God. They're committed to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They're committed to Christ and his church. And you read Acts and you see this movement of God and it's a movement that I want to see here in Buford, Georgia, and the surrounding little communities here, with you know, almost a million people living right here within a not very big radius at all. So what if we asked for this? What if we asked God to, would you do what we see in the book of Acts among us? You know, Scripture says we don't have because we don't ask. Listen, let's boldly ask God to do what He did in Acts and what He continues to do in and through the church all over the world. I want to ask you, who could you be praying for consistently, be devoted to praying for? Someone who's a lost neighbor, a person who's a, a co-worker, a family member, maybe, maybe who's wandered away, or someone who doesn't know you, doesn't know Christ. Who could you be praying for? Who could you be inviting? Who could you be so bold like we see the disciples being to share the hope of the gospel with? I want to encourage you. We, again, I've been saying this over the past few weeks. We, we're getting ready to kick off our uh, fall season of community groups. And we're beginning with uh, a study called Rooted. And Rooted is going to be like our entry point into community groups. You can find it on the front of your, your uh, weekly guide there. There's a place right there with a QR code where you can register and sign up. We'll have a resource for you as well to, to purchase as well as part of it. But it's a 10-week commitment. It's a 10-week tr- commitment to a, a local body of believers gathered in the homes once a week to study God's Word, to, to, to pray for one another, to serve the community around us, to commit to getting to know one another and to practicing the one another's. For those of you that are already in a community group, who could you be thinking about and inviting to come and be a part of one of those groups? One of our community groups where we get to put to practice these things. Listen, let's be a devoted people. Sadly, the church in America is devoted is probably not the word you would use with most, most people. In the church. I think we see that as we see the church in China, in the Middle East, in India, in very far-reaching places of the world. We see a great devotion, but yet for some reason in America with the access to Scripture, 
the churches everywhere, yet they're filled with people who aren't very devoted, people who don't really care to know God's Word, aren't committed to studying it, to learning, not committed to learning about who this God is. They're not committed to one another. They may be committed to attending a service and, and observing and doing that together, but not committed to the church. I want to encourage you, invite you, let's be different. Let's be unique compared to the church in America. Let's be a people who, when the world looks at Redeemer Community Church, they're like, something's different about those people. They really seem to really like each other. They really love each other. They really care. Man, I, I can't believe that someone did this for that person. I heard, you know, because you were talking about it at work. Man, my community group came together and they brought this and or they blessed our family in such a unique way. And I can't believe how kind and gracious these, you, you'll never find this anywhere else. And like all of a sudden the person's like, man, that is weird. That's unique. I want to have that too. Let's be different. Let's be a church that's devoted, that's united. And that's powerful that sees God move in our midst. Let's call out to this God and let's beg Him for it. Let's commit together to pray, God, will you move in our midst? Will you move us, shake us from our apathy and pride and our self-righteousness and help us to be devoted to God and to one another? All right, let me pray for us this morning. Father, We do want to come to you boldly. We do this because of what we looked at last week. We can come to you boldly because of what Christ has done. You are a great high priest. You give us access to the Father because of your grace and your blood being poured out for us. So, Father, we just want to ask. I, I hope that there's some people in this room right now praying the same thing that I'm praying, God, that you would do a mighty work among us that this church would be unique and different, that there would be a devotion about us, a love for God and for your word and a love for you that rings out to this community. Father, would you bless us? God, would you give us boldness to proclaim to the people in this community right here, right around us. And give us the boldness to, to call out, to cry out to the hurting and to meet the needs of the people around us that we would, with our voices and with our hands and with our hearts, God, may we reach and love this community well. God, we want to ask, would you do what you did in Acts? Would thousands of people come to saving faith in you? God, may we see you do this kind of work in and through Redeemer Community Church. And in this community, like we see in the book of Acts, God, we long to see your kingdom come, but we long to see the lost come to faith in your son. And so, Father, help us. Help us to be a devoted people, a united people, and a powerful people through your spirit. We ask for your help in all these ways in Jesus' name. Amen.